You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Welcome to another edition of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media and Metal Blade podcast, celebrating all things heavy metal. Um, We're going back in time here. I think we kicked this podcast off 41 or 42 episodes ago with Brian Slagle and uh, thought we'd have him on for our year anniversary, but we're bringing him back a little bit early because it's a new year and it's the 40 year anniversary of Metal Blade. um, And there's there's a new book in the works and we just couldn't wait another eight or 10 weeks to get Brian on here. So welcome back to the show, Brian. Thank you. Of course, we're super psyched to have you. Um, Let's dive right in. I mean, what are you most excited about this year? The 40 year anniversary, what's on tap? Yeah, you know, it's weird because us, you know, we, we do these every five years, you know, 25th, 30th, 30th, you know, we do these things and anniversary things. And and honestly, after a while, I just kind of get like, eh, I'm kind of tired of having to do something for it. But for this one, I talked to some pretty high profile people in the music business who were like, no, this is like a really big thing. You don't understand how big this actually really is. And these are guys way high up the food chain. So I, they kind of in, it invigorated me into actually being excited about doing something for the 40th. So we have a whole lot of stuff planned. Uh, not all, Unfortunately, not a whole lot I can I have details on quite yet. But uh, there's a few things that are happening. The first thing, the, the biggest thing that's going to happen, and we should announce this pretty soon. Uh, and I won't, I'll, I'll be very vague about it, but vague enough that you can probably figure it out. So we're going to go way back to basically the very beginning of, of where Metal Blade started. And we're going to do something that involves the very beginnings of Metal Blade, something that I wanted to do for a long time, but I thought was going to be an absolute nightmare to get together. Uh, because it involves a whole lot of other parties. So I finally decided, all right, I'm going to try to do this because it's really, if we're going to do this 40th anniversary right, this is really what we should be doing. And I put together, it took me about an hour to get everybody to agree to do this and on the same page. And it's all done. And we're going to announce it very, very soon. It's something very special to me. And the fact that all these other people 
basically bought in right away without even a question uh, kind of blows my mind. So that's going to be super fun. We're doing a lot of branding things now. Um, you know, we, we, we so graciously, Mr. Chris Santos has allowed us to do a version of his amazing uh, Verde sauce, which we now have. And we can't keep in stock, by the way. It sells out every five seconds, basically. And it's available in our store here in Vegas and the Middle Blade store in Vegas and the Mall of America. And it's also available on our uh, website, web store. So, you know, we're doing that. We, uh, we've we just, about, we're going to be doing a Metal Blade 40th anniversary vodka with our friends over at Infinity Vodka. And we've got a ton of stuff planned for that. That's kind of the first big thing. And then we've got a whole bunch of shows that we want to do. I want to, we're going to do at least one in LA. We're going to do up to three to four in Vegas. We're going to do something in New York. We're going to do something in London. We're going to do something at some of the festivals in Europe over the summer, provided they happen, knock on wood. So, so it's actually going to be a whole lot of stuff going on. So just keep, you know, keep on the Metal Blade socials and metalblade.com and everything. There'll be a whole bunch of announcements coming in the next couple of months, but we're actually going to really kind of blow it out this year and do a, a lot of fun things. So sounds like you got a lot, a lot on your hands. It's weird because yes. And, and normally I'm, I'm the last guy to want to deal with a lot of this stuff, but our staff is so phenomenal and really has taken a lot of the load off of me. So I'm not as crazily busy as, as I probably once was. And clearly, you know, not really being able to travel very much would, and I'm kind of excited about putting all this stuff together. It's been, really fun, you know, doing these things. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy at the end of the year. I'm probably going to be dead, but uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully not. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be good. Got it. I mean, you got to make it to the 50 year. Yeah. At least. That's my plan. At that's least. my plan. Yeah. And um, there's another book on the way. Yeah. So unfortunately it's not going to come out uh, in, in, in 2022, basically due to supply chain issues. And I guess the book industry is, uh, like everybody else is really affected and it's it's going to come out now in early 2023 which is weird because i actually wrote it right prior to the pandemic so i had to add some extra stuff after afterwards because of the pandemic and then you know when we went to try to publish it we're using again bmg who was our great publisher last year last time and it's like look unless you have this done now it can't come out until 2023 which is actually is okay because this gives us more room to celebrate stuff in 2022 for the for the anniversary and we'll start talking about it towards the end of 2022 so it'll be kind of a cool launching thing to come out in 2023 and real quickly about the book so you know writing a book is a crazy thing and I did that basically for the 35th anniversary. I can't believe it's completely blown away by the response. I mean, it's like 99% positive, which blows me away. It was, you know, number one on Amazon for a long time. But we kicked him out for a week or two somewhere down the road. <laughs> but but uh, so I got a lot of people saying, hey, you know, we'd love to have another book. We'd love to write more stories about some of the more obscure bands or maybe go in depth more about some of the bigger bands. So, so that's pretty much what, what I did. I went back and just told a whole bunch of stories about bands, you know, on the label. You know, Armand Marth, uh, King Diamond, Richard Fate, Armored Saint, Fate's Morning. Then a bunch of obscure bands that people were asking about. And then I talk about, you know, my love of Iron Maiden and obviously my amazing relationship with Metallica. The forward was done by, and also 
Castle, there's a whole Slayer chapter ropes. And I was really nervous about asking him because, you know, Santos knows him very well, too. He's, you know, a really good friend. You hate asking friends to do that. He doesn't really do these sort of things. So, but I, I felt like he would be the right guy. So I actually went through management to have them ask him instead of me directly. <laughs> and uh, and he said yes, and he uh, I'm absolutely blown away by Warrior. It's really really amazing. So I'm super excited about that. So that'll be early 2023, and uh, yeah, so it's gonna be fun. I think was it e- was it easier or harder to write a second book? Much easier actually, because the first book was kind of a chronological order of the history of Metal Blade. So I had to kind of go back and and really rack my brain to remember things. This was a little easier because really. All the stories I'm telling in this book, I tell all the time. Like if I'm just out with a bunch of friends of mine, they'll say, hey, what about this? What about that? Or, you know, we'll just kind of reminisce about things. And so it was a lot easier to to do this. And the only problem with writing a book is you don't, I try really hard not to make anybody mad because the last thing you want to do is, you know, write something and have somebody go, but we got three. We didn't really have any problems with the first book on that, except for one small one, but that's okay. So I sent, you know, I sent all the chapters to the bands, the, the big bands, you know, Amon and King Diamond. There, I just want to say, I want to make sure number one that this is all cool. Number two, that I'm factually correct with dates and times because, you know, my memory is not the greatest memory on the planet. And they were all very helpful because there was definitely a few things that I wrote in there about dates and times that I, I said I think this happened this time, and they corrected me with actual dates and times so so it should be pretty accurate so um but it was it was easy the only thing that i'm at, absolutely terrified of doing is that you have to do an audiobook the first book when i did the audiobook it was fairly easy for me because half of the book was all basically other people's quotes from you know bands and people and and I actually went to bmg and said you know i think i can get pretty much everybody to re- record their part you know metallica and, oh wow and they said no you can't do that it's too many narratives you need to have only two to three narratives so i read my part and then i had john bush robert saint who does voiceover work read all the other parts but it was really difficult to to read the book because you're i'm reading it and when you read it in your head it's it's how you speak and my good friend Mark Eglinton was the one who, you know, kind of wrote it all, all fleshed it all out. But when you're doing that and then you actually try to read it, it does, it's not really how you speak. So the first eight hour session I did was a nightmare from hell. It was, it was really difficult. So I went to the BNG people and said, can I, can I like, you know, paraphrase here? Like I would normally speak. They said, oh yeah, I read this. So then it was a little bit easier, but I'm daunted to the fact that I have to read the entire book this time. And I wouldn't normally do it, but I, same thing for some bizarre reason. I got a really good response on the first book. A lot of people really liked the audiobook, although I think my voice is annoying, but uh, whatever. Everybody hates their own voice. I can't stand it. So do you sit with someone and kind of narrate and have them record it and then kind of tighten it up for you? Or do you actually write like physically at, you know, a laptop and write these stories out? I would love to say that I put a laptop together and wrote it myself because I would love to do that. I, I, I'm a writer. I started out as a journalist in this business a million years ago, but I just don't have the time. Uh, so what I do is I work with Mark Eglinton, who's, you know, he d- has done a million books. He did Nurgle's books and Rex Brown's books, and he's a really good guy. And we get along very, very well. And yeah, I would just basically tell him all the stories and then he would put it together in, in word form and he gets how I speak and, and how it works. So when I read it, it, it does sound like it's coming directly from me and not through a, somebody else. And he doesn't add anything in unless it's a grammatical thing. And he's really super easy to work with. So, uh, so yeah, that I, I do it that way. And then, you know, I have to read it like five times to make sure it's all factually 
Okay. <laughs> I did end up writing uh, some stuff in, at the end because when we came back after the pandemic, I had to write a whole bunch of uh, maybe a, a, a chapter basically on pandemic and what was going on and everything. I just wrote that myself just because I felt I wanted to, to come from, from me personally. You know, it feels like between when you wrote that last book and this next book, there's been sort of an explosion in like heavy metal literature, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like metal books have really become a thing in the last five years. And did that impact your approach when you were writing this book? Because the genre didn't really exist as much as it does now. Not really. I, I just kind of did it the way I, I wanted to do it. I just wanted to tell stories. And, and that's basically the way I did it. I didn't really think anything overall about you know, where the genre is and people doing books, you know, I mean, there's always been a lot of books out there. And this is a little bit different from the first book I wrote, which was, you know, technically an autobiography of the history of Metal Blade. This is more, you know, stories from me about Metal Blade. So I, I just went ahead and do it and did it and just felt like, you know, I think this stuff is fun. I love telling these stories and it's nice to tell it to a, a wider audience. Absolutely. So something I was curious about, I'm not sure if you get into in this book is like, can you talk about how your relationship with Mike Faley started? Because that's like, you know, kind of one of the crucial relationships in Metal Blade's universe, right? Yeah, I definitely talk about that in the first book, because obviously he's an integral character in, in the history of Metal Blade. So basically, you know, when I started the label, it was just, you know, me in a garage for three years doing it all by myself. Then finally, it started to kind of do okay. And, we, you know, we started hiring a couple of employees. And then it got to the point about, you know, 1986, I think, where it was, it was becoming a real label. We had, you know, employees and, and I was struggling with kind of doing everything myself and, and working with all the bands. And as the more bands we had, I just didn't have enough time to be able to reach out to all of them. So my, uh, my friend John Sutherland, who was uh, a historical journal, metal music journalist forever, and he actually ended up working at Metal Blade for many years doing the publicity side, said, hey, uh, I know this guy in Buffalo named Mike Faley, who manages Billy Sheehan. And Billy, at that point, had moved to Los Angeles, and Mike was trying to find a way to get to Los Angeles out of Buffalo for two reasons. Number one, to avoid the wonderful winters there in Buffalo. No disrespect to Buffalo, because I do love it there. <laughs> uh, and also to be closer to Billy. And John said he he would be a guy, you know, he was a booking agent, he manages, he, he knows bands. He would be a really good guy to come out and help you with that. So I called him up and I think we talked half an hour and I called him back the next day and I said, all right, you got the job. Just let me know when you want to come out here. And it's funny when I, when I was talking to him about that, this was all happening in January. And when I called him to offer him the, the, the job that he was under 16 feet of snow, he's like, yeah, I think it's the right time <laughs> to leave Buffalo now. So it was not a, it was not a hard sell. No, it was a, a really easy sell. And I just, you know, when I got on the phone with him, he said all the right things I could tell he was, he was of the same like mind as all of us were and, and, and definitely knew how to deal with bands and managers. Cause I was a young guy still struggling a bit with that. And he had way more experience doing that than I did, which was very helpful. That's really cool. Weaving back and forth between time periods. Speaking of Buffalo, what, what's your take on this every time I die situation? Oh, it's terrible. All my good friends, uh, Vaughn and Kenny, who managed Keel Switch and a million other bands, we were, we were talking about that last night. It's like that, that's like the manager's worst nightmare, that all this stuff happens and it's out in the public. I love those guys. They're amazing band, amazing people. 
they just put out like the best record I've heard in a long time. Yeah, and I I don't know what's going on much. I I, I hear things here and there, so I'm, I don't know exactly what's happening. But I will say that this seems to be a COVID pandemic issue where you know people are stuck at home for a long time and i don't think this is going to be the last of these sort of things that happen to bands because of that and it's just sad it's sad because they're really good guys they're a really phenomenal band the two guys are brothers and this is playing out you know in you know in the public which is like i said the last the last thing i think anybody would want to see and it just it's sad i i'm hopeful that that down the road uh they can kind of rekindle everything and maybe get back together at some point because such a great band. And, and again, everybody in that band are phenomenal human beings. They're like some of the best guys ever. I, I've known Andy and, and Jordan and Keith for many, many years, and they've always been incredibly nice to me and, and just really solid guys. So yeah, it, it sucks. It's really, it really is terrible. Yeah, just shocking, really. I saw you tweeting about one of my favorite projects right now, HO9909. Or which is horror, right? Or whatever. Or yeah. Or horror, yeah. But I just want to, I don't know. Point being, can you talk about them and your relationship with horrorcore in general? Because I've been spending a lot of time with that. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I, I grew up in LA and we didn't really have a hardcore scene. We had a big punk scene. I was really heavily into the LA punk scene with, you know, the Go-Go's, the Germs, Black Flag, all that late 70s punk stuff, even the Go-Go's. And then the Dead Kennedys, even though they were from San Francisco, they would come to LA two or three times at least a month. And I was huge dead kennedys fan so i was really in big in- wait c- c- can i ask a really nerdy question just i'm sorry to interrupt you brian did you ever get to see belinda carlisle when she was in the germs no i well you know i don't think so because somebody asked me that and i i only saw the germs once or twice and they were a, a train wreck yeah i can imagine i'm pretty sure she was not in the band at, at that point okay from, from memory it, she, it's possible she could have been because I didn't really know much about them. They opened for, I think they opened for Black Flag or something and they played okay. like 15 minutes and it was a bit of a train wreck, but I don't think she was in the band. Okay. I was just curious because that's like my favorite weird historical anecdote. I'm actually reading her autobiography now. It's great. And it's funny because we basically grew up in the same time period, very close to each other in, in, in geography. And I actually, uh, Jane Weedland used to come into the record store I worked at, you know, this is way before the Go-Go's or anything. And I actually bought an acoustic guitar from her because she was in one day and said, hey, you know who wants to buy an acoustic guitar? I'm trying to sell it. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy it. I was trying to think I could play guitar, which was a disaster. But uh, so yeah, I bought Jane Whedon's guitar in 1981. Uh, anyway, so I would see all those bands, but we really didn't have a hardcore scene really in, in, in LA. That was the New York version, you know, with, with Cro-Mags and, you know, Crumb Suckers, all those bands. So I Obviously, being in New York a lot, once I started going there, I saw a lot, of, a lot of the hardcore stuff. So I was never a huge fan of that stuff. But what I found really interesting about the hardcore scene is when we when we came back in the early 2000s to you know, the, 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 the metal resurgence, which was led in large part by the metalcore scene, what I do love about the hardcore scene is just everybody's there for everybody else all the bands are there for everybody else it's every everybody gets along there's no egos like all the bands want the other bands to, to succeed and i think that was that attitude was one of the main reasons why metal became big again in the 2000s because before that metal scene wasn't like that there was rivalries and people didn't like each other and it was kind of you know I, I never liked that 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 was the case but when that 
hardcore scene came in and kind of melded with the metal scene, a whole game changer. And that included you know, managers and agents. We got so many phenomenal people who are still working very hard to this day that, that, that get along with everybody that made that scene really rise up. So, so yeah, but back to horror. So it's funny story. So, so my girlfriend's a huge Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie fan. So they were playing a show in Reno of all places. So I go, well, let's go. I've never been to Reno at that point. Let's go up there and, and see the show. And I like both Manson's, obviously. So we went to see it. It was, in the, it was in a hotel. It was in this weird venue. And I just thought it was those two. But I noticed that there was somebody setting, there was some weird equipment on stage that weren't either one of those. I said, I think there's an opening band. And it looked weird. It just looked weird. Like the people putting, setting stuff up with, looked weird. And it was like, I told her, I said, e this is either going to be one of the greatest bands of all time or one of the worst bands of all time. And that was horror. And they came out and I was absolutely blown away. I'd never seen anything with that kind of energy. And, and the stage performance was incredible. It was completely different from anything you've, you've ever seen. And so later in the evening, I, I went to the bathroom, I think in between shows and, and one of the guy, one of the, the singer guy was, was standing there and he's wearing a, I want to say he's wearing a DRI shirt, but he's wearing something like that. So I just went up to him and said, hey, you know, I'm Brian from the records. I thought you guys were amazing. And, and he was super, super nice. And so I just kind of became obsessed with them and I've seen them, gosh, I don't know how many times, maybe 10 times now, and I've, you know, I've, hung out with them a little bit, you know, really great guys, tried to sign them desperately, but, you know, I don't know if we were the right, the right vehicle for them necessarily, but I, I just think the band is, is incredible. And if they make, if they, if they can get what they do on stage onto a recorded form, man, that, that band could be really, really big. They're going out with Slipknot for a little bit. Yeah. Better, I think. Yeah. They're going to have this, have the Slipknot run because Corey Taylor is big for, it's actually, talked to Corey at one point about horror because because the the singer from horror was in Corey's cover band and they played a couple of shows and I was talking to Corey he goes oh my god yeah that, I haven't that, seen them those I haven't guys seen are them amazing yet. he's a huge fan so oh you have to see them there uh, yeah it's, it's impossible to describe the energy I haven't seen a band with that much energy in a long time and it's completely unique i've been doing this for i mean it's about four years i've never seen anything like this before and it's hard to do something different these days that's really cool and good yeah you have to go see them better to see them in a club honestly but you know even nobody for slipknot i'm sure they'll be good it's cool because i actually i had an experience where i was sitting in my office at in brooklyn and I, these kids, like late at night, and these kids were literally having like a pop-up horrorcore show. And I went down, there's a bunch of like 18-year-old like kids and like a very diverse group of kids all wearing like mayhem shirts performing <laughs> horrorcore for each other. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever that like, I didn't think that like teenagers in Bushwick listen to Dark Funeral. And I'm going to actually do a deal with one of them because he also makes like D really good DSBM. And I was like, this is like, it's so cool to like see like young people into interesting heavy music in their own way that's sort of inclusive and unique. And, you know, not, I think a lot of times, like when I was a kid getting into heavy music, I wanted to like pretend I was in Norway in 1991, you know, which only gets you so far. So it's, it's cool to see like, oh, there's like new heavy music that's evil and cool. And I think horror, like a great, next step for metal in a lot of ways if that makes sense 100 100 i gotta see them i gotta check them out i'm late to the party on them it looks like you will love them 
I guarantee you. Were they signed when you tried to sign them? They weren't really signed. They put up a cut. They, they're they, a real DIY sort of band. Like they've done a bunch of the stuff, the stuff themselves, just to put stuff out there. Uh, and they were being courted by a, a ton of different labels. But I, I think that they, they're so unique that I don't think they wanted to necessarily get on a metal label because trust me, all the metal labels were throwing money at them. Uh, and then I read this really great article with them in Kerrang today. And they were kind of talking about this whole Travis Barker thing. And they're initially like, eh, he's not the right guy. And people said, no, 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 he's really cool. He's really into it, yada, yada. So they, they ended up, he ended up producing the record. And he's putting it out through his label, which is kind of interesting because he's got you know, some big stuff there. It's basically, it's Atlantic Records, basically, he's doing it. So interesting to see, interesting to see how they handle it. But uh, I think it's a good, it's a good spot for them, hopefully. It's really weird how Travis Barker is like the scene godfather now. It's really cool, though. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, He's a legit fan, so I'll give him that. But it's just like, oh, Travis Barker has now like is going to be like the the Quincy Jones of his generation. Like that's very strange, but also cool. Oh god, I think it's a settle down, settle down now, Quincy Jones. I mean, like <laughs> I don't know, like that dude works with like Link One Eighty Two and Corey Taylor and MGK and also like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, I'd hold off on the Quincy Taylor talk for a little while, a little, a little while longer. My goodness. Okay, I'm gonna go on the record with that one. <laughs> All right, if that's the hill you want to die on. <laughs> Let's go. Any new releases from Metal Blade that you're particularly excited about for 2022? There's a lot of stuff. You know, obviously, we've got a lot of bands who have been having nothing to do but make music and record music. So there's a lot of stuff coming out. I, the, I guess the one thing that I'm super excited about now, just because I just heard it maybe five days ago, four days, is the new Amon <laughs> Marth, which... Uh, is interesting because normally with a Monomarth record, I, I'm pretty heavily involved in it, but this one was different for a variety of reasons. Number one, they weren't signed to Metal Blade at the time when they were recording the record. Uh, obviously they are now, they're very loyal guys and we're very happy to have them in the fold as always. But I wasn't really involved in it because during there was a pandemic happening, they weren't signed with us yet. Initially, we I had heard that Josh Wilbur was gonna do the record, which I love Josh, but I'm not sure he's the right guy from on Amarth really. So I ended up talking to Andy Sneed, just I, I hit him up out of nowhere just to you know, see what was going on with him because I, I had something that we might want him to mix. And he said, I can't do that. I'm uh, I'm doing a new Priest album and I'm doing the new Amon Amarth album. He said, are you guys doing that? I said, well, I hope so. We sent them a contract. So as long as they sign it. So it kind of worked out great because uh, Andy, obviously Priest tour got canceled. So Andy didn't have anything to do. So Amon Amarth, again, because of all the COVID stuff, they couldn't come to America. So they did it with Andy and Andy's the best. And uh, the record sounds amazing. It's really heavy which I think is the right move for them. You know, there's a couple of classic Amon Mars stuff in there, but it's pretty, pretty heavy. And there's, I can't, I won't leak any of it yet, but I think it's, I think the, it's going to come out pretty soon, the, all the information on the, on the record, but there is an unbelievable guest, actually two guests uh, on one of the songs that has absolutely blown me away and is, is becoming one of my favorite Amon Mars songs of all time. Oh, very cool. Wow. Okay. That's quite the teaser. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm excited to hear new music from them. Yeah. It's, re it's really good. And, and they're, they're a, a crazy band because they've been doing it for so long. Every record is really good. And at some point in time, it's just a matter of somebody's, you're just not going to make a great record. Like every band, no mm -hmm. matter who you are, 
at some point it's going to have a record where it just doesn't quite work. I got the record. I'm like, damn it. They made another great record. I'm really blown away. And, and obviously very happy and we're excited to continue working with them. They're great guys. Have you had the opportunity to hear the new Blacklight Media Metal Blade artist Nicholas Cage Fighters record now that it's mastered and done? Yes. What do you think? I love it. I think it's great. It's great. I'm, I'm not super excited about, you know, a lot of stuff that, that you guys have coming up on Blacklight. There's Nicholas Cage Fighter, Raptors, Demiser. There's a bunch of really cool stuff coming up. Capra, I love them too. So I'm I'm really excited about, about all these new bands coming out with a lot of really cool, fresh stuff. Capra's uh, doing a great, great, better than I think anyone could see coming. They're selling a ton of merch. Um, they're really, really road hungry. And Raptors has been getting really good reception. I, I spoke to Jose and Katie over at Sirius, and they both said that people, um, you know, great reaction so far to Raptors um, on these sneak peek singles. So that's very exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of good bands. So just hopefully they can get out on tour and tour, and, uh, and tour properly. Mm -hmm. Yep. We recently, Matt and I recently did a podcast with Harm's Way, well, with Bo from Har Harm's Way. And uh, that was really interesting. Uh, it was a great conversation, but they're very, they're, they've booked studio time and um, they have about 12 songs that, that are written that need to be cleaned up a little bit. But super exciting to hear that they're about to go into the studio and, and come out with something probably in early 2023. But we uh, we had a fun conversation about that whole how the whole Blacklight Media started in part because of Harm's Way and and. Uh, us listening to them together. That's one of my favorite stories ever. What you know, we signed them. Obviously, you you had played me their the latest record at the time, and I was like, oh my god, I, I liked Harm's Way, but I, I, at that point, I hadn't heard anything that was that good. And so it, it turned out they were that was their last record at their other label. They were free agents, so we ended up signing them. Uh, in large part, also due to Andy Williams from Every Time I Die, who was helping us get that deal done. So props to to Andy. But one of my favorite stories was so I went to see them. They, the first time I saw them live was at the Glass House in, in Pomona, and, and I forget who they were opening for bad it been between the very me i don't remember but anyway i'm backstage talking to the and I, first time i met them and i kind of told them the story of you know how you had played me the song and for the album and that's how i found out and we ended up signing it and a couple of guys go wait chris sent us some chops and i go yeah sent us some chops oh my god my wife and i watched him all he's our favorite guy like, he knows who we are he was like freaking out so that's funny Absolutely. So, so silly. Harm's Way. Very cool. That guy speaks really good German, which really threw me. But shout out, Bo. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Yeah. How did you guys figure that out? I came when I when I joined the conversation, you guys were speaking full German to each other. I thought I thought for a second we were going to have to do because I told him I was in Berlin, which was I was going to be fucked. That's the goal is to do is to next year. Like after we do a year of English podcast, we're going to do a year of German podcast. <laughs> OK. I guess I better start studying. <laughs> Spätzle. Uh... I used to know a lot of German because our obviously our office in, in yeah. Europe is in Germany. I, I used to go there a lot. And for a while, I could actually understand it for the most part. But it's, there's so many crazy dialects there. Like our office is in southern Germany. They have a completely yeah. different dialect. I remember once we were at our distributor, uh, SPB at the time in, uh, I think it was in Cologne. Yeah, I think we were in Cologne. And so we're having this meeting and it's all in German, but they were, you know, and I was able to follow along pretty well. They'd stop and explain, oh, I can follow along. And then our two guys were talking and the guy from SPD goes, you know, I can't understand one single thing they're talking about right now. I said, really? Their dialect is so crazy. You can't, you, the people from the North can't understand from the South. It's really interesting. So trying to learn German is hard. Like which German are you learning? The North, yeah, right? the South? This is... What is it? 
it's this is what makes it tricky is it's like i had a i i speak pretty good german but i had a long car ride with uh the head of a certain label's father who's like very much like a countryside wine guy and it was like oh god <laughs> fuck <laughs> So yeah, I've experienced that. And it's real quick, 12 hour car ride from uh, Hamburg back to Stuttgart after one of the Vakens. And I was in a, in a van full of Germans and Germans don't like to speak English, even if there's English people around them. So it's 12 hours of listening to German. And so it was actually was good because I could, I could, you know, I could kind of understand it. I've had a question I'd ask somebody, but yeah. Favorite German metal band, go. Rammstein. I haven't seen them either. Oh my god, that's insane! They're—I mean—they are literally the, the best live band of all time, just because of all the the, the show and everything. But I'll say a close second is uh, Uli Roth era Scorpions because I, I love—I love the Scorpions anyway. But the Uli Roth era Scorpions is just incredible. I go more like classic thrash. I think I think I go more like Creator and Sodom and Destruction. Destructions from Germany too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did all our early stuff. Yeah, Destruction, Sodom, Creator. And you know what? It's crazy to me that those, some of those bands are still coming. Like Destruction and Sodom, just putting out new music in 2022. Yeah, we did We did all their early stuff uh, in the States. Yeah, we had to deal with noise, so we did all the Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost, however you want to say it. Sodom is like also still super sick. Like even like the new stuff Sodom puts out is like, even after he like fired the whole lineup and got a bunch of new guys in, I think, 2018, like Angel Ripper is still like is here to fucking kill you. Yeah. Like that dude rules. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, love it. Um, all these bands, like Violence uh, from San Francisco just put out their first new song in 35 or 40 years. It's just crazy to, and I'm like, you know, I'm sitting, you guys can't see it, but every time I do this podcast, I have a bunch of like cassettes from the 80s and it's all these bands we, we always talk about and like bands like Creator and whatnot. Like I remember like, where I was when I first heard a band like Destruction or Dark Angel or Violence. And to think that if you told me then that I would be 50 something years old and these bands would still be churning out new music and good new music, I wouldn't have believed it. It's crazy. I had a, a conversation the other day. So thanks to Chris, actually, he turned me on to new Volbeat record. And I like Volbeat. I tried to sign Volbeat in the early days and staff wouldn't let me, which it still makes me mad, but it's okay. But the new Volbeat record is phenomenal. So I want, and the new Muse, the new Muse song is also very heavy. So I hit up my, my, one of my friends over at Q Prime and just said, Hey, just so you know, this new Volbeat record is phenomenal. And this Muse song is really good. I hope the rest of the record's like that. And he said, he said, he said, the, everybody's keeping it close to the vest, but it, it's definitely more rock. But he made the comment that, you we're going to see a lot of heavy records come out. I think it's the one kind of silver lining of the pandemic is everybody's angry. And even bands that wouldn't normally make heavy records, like Volbeat, for example, are making really heavy, really good records. And that first Muse song is incredible. So that's old school Muse that I've been missing for a while. So I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of bands making really putting out really heavy records. And even even we talked about Amon Amarth, the heaviest on Amon Amarth record in a long time. Yeah, too. no, it's great. It's great. Um, it's really cool. Is the vinyl shortage? We talked about this with the with uh, Bo from Harm's Way. Is the backlog of vinyl and um, you know the supply chain issues? Is that really hurting release your release calendar? Well, I mean, yes and no. Um, you know, we're lucky that we you know we've brokered a bunch of deals with with different manufacturers where we have 
Like for example, the Amana Marth, we've 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 held the capacity there for them to do it for us, so we can get the record out on time, and we're able to do that with some of the stuff. I, I, it does it, it pushes things back because it just makes it longer for to get vinyl in some cases. But we've also done a, a lot of times where if it's going to be too long, we'll just say the vinyl's going to be out a month after the record comes out. I think the kids are just they're re they realize what it is and they're kind of used to that we don't like doing it i think for us the biggest problem that we have with the vinyl shortage is catalog because we do so much catalog stuff and you know i constantly get hit up on social media hey when are you gonna get when are you gonna do this when are you gonna do that it's like everything's on the docket to be done but it just takes forever if we could if we had the capacity we could probably sell maybe twice as much vinyl as we're selling now, which is frustrating because of the way it is. And we've, we've talked about buying our own machine and all these things, but there's, there's issues with that, but, but we're in a, in a pretty good place now where we've got a bunch of different manufacturers now that, that we're, you know, we're helping and they're helping us. So it's, it's still not great, but for us, it's not, it's not dire or, or terrible, but it is for a lot of people, unfortunately. What's your prediction? What's going to happen in the next, you know, I don't know, 12 to 24 months. Can you even make a prediction with the way the world is? But what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, you, you can, you, I can't make a prediction, but I can make an educated guess, I, I guess, is the way you do it. So one of the many weird things about this pandemic is, you know, I've become, I talk to medical people all the time. Uh, just because, you know, I'm running a business and, and we, we have bands that need to tour and, you know, things need to happen. I need to have some sort of, you know, as we're, you know, forecasting what's going to happen, you know, we need to have some sort of, uh, a clue, which of course is proven to be impossible because you just don't know. But it does seem, and you know, I always try to remain as optimistic as I can. I'm a you know glass half full guy. But it seems like a lot of very smart people who know a million times more than I know about things have all kind of come to the conclusion. If you look at other parts of the world, that we're finally moving from a pandemic to an endemic. And what that means is basically we're going to be living with this thing, but it's not going to be as severe. It's, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to land you in a hospital as, as much as it did before. And it's just going to be here. And we're going to have to live with it and we're going to have to deal with it a lot. That seems to be where everybody's going. Clearly, the West Coast of the United States is not at that level yet. Our numbers are still insane. But it seems like we're getting there because it, it's, it's realistically, if you just look at the numbers between people who are vaccinated and people who've had it, you know, it's getting to the point where there's not a lot of people that haven't done either one of the two. And that makes you less susceptible to getting really sick. And now there's, there's, med there's medications that can help with that. It's going to take take a, a little while. Like it's not, I don't think in the next, you know, couple of months, we're just going to move on to something normal. I think what's, I, I'm hoping what's going to happen is that we're going to slowly move into this endemic thing here in the States soon. You're seeing a lot of Europe happening. I mean, the UK seems to be pretty much back to, whatever the normal-ish is now. So it's getting there. So it, but 2022 is going to be a tricky year because you just don't, you just don't know. I mean, could there be another variant that comes that screws everything up? It's very possible. But several doctors have told me how these things work is that they don't want to kill you. Like they, they want you to survive because they want to infect you. That's how these things work. So, you know, everybody's kind of hopeful that it's going to just really evolve into a flu or something like that. And then we're just going to have to deal with it the way you would deal with it with the flu, the flu or anything. And we can get back to, you know, somewhat normalness. We've got a lot of tours happening right now, which are terrifying. You know, you have to, you basically have to have an extra singer, an extra guitar player. You know, you got to get your drum techs to learn the set just in case somebody gets sick because you can't, 
can't cancel the show. Like if, you know, if you, if you're any of these bands on these club tours and you cancel a couple shows that you make no money. So you can't do that. Like Guar was out recently and, and they, they got through the tour somehow, but I think they said they had 14 different guys play in the band. Because at one point or another, they lost different guys. So easier for Guar to do that, obviously, with the costumes. But um, yeah, it's going to be 2022 is going to be tricky navigating this and hopefully getting to a better place. I've heard that really to get back to where we were in February of 2020, you're probably looking at 2024 uh, before we get back to that. But it seems like it's going to be in a, in a better spot. Uh, it's already there. I mean, look, you know, watch football games or hockey games in the U.S. I mean, every event is packed. People don't seem to care. So it, it is what it is. And we don't see we're not seeing the the death rate skyrocket or the ICU skyrocketing yet. Knock on wood. So so I think we're getting getting back to it. And then uh, it's just going to be what it is. And, and, you know, it's touring is so different now and just everything is so different. And. Uh, we just have to navigate. It's not, it's not going to be easy, but the last three years haven't been easy either. And we've been able to, at least at the metal bit, and we've been able to, to navigate and actually thrive in it, which is kind of crazy. All right. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to bring it back to my other favorite topic, which is food and cooking. Um, you know, for a while there, you had a little issue with your esophagus and you weren't able to eat everything you wanted to. That's all cleared up, right? And it's all cleared up. Thanks to the wonderful people at UCLA and, uh, Los Angeles. I am good to go. So, but there was, it was how, for how long could you not really enjoy food? It was a, it was a while. Yeah. So it's, it's really weird. So this is, uh, you know, talking about medical stuff. So you know, I started having these issues about, oh gosh, maybe six, seven years ago where I would, I would be eating and, and, and you know, I'd be out at a restaurant or and I just felt like all of a sudden it was in my throat and, and it, I basically had to go to the bathroom, just throw everything up. And so I thought it was, uh, I thought it was some sort of uh, indigestion. But, you know, I was on all these pills for, you know, reflux and because it had a lot of the same things as reflux. And all the doctors in California just kept telling me it's just reflux, reflux, but they kept giving me more reflux medicine and it wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. So finally, when I moved to Nevada, I found my amazing, amazing uh, regular doctor said, yeah, that's not, a, that's not reflux. So we figured out it's, it's something called achalasia. And basically what happens is your, your esophagus, you know, when you eat, it opens up. So the food goes down into your stomach and then it closes after you're done. It's a muscle. So my esophagus just stopped working and there's no reason for it. Nobody knows how it happens. It just happens to a few people and it happened to me. So once I figured that out, it was a lot easier for me to, to function because before I was like passing out because I wasn't getting any nutrients and it was really bad. But once I figured that out, I went on a, basically went on a liquid diet. I ate soups, uh, protein shakes, uh, you know, water sodas and, you know, in yogurts, anything that was liquid that I could, that I could basically get, get through. And even then it wasn't, it was my esophagus was still holding stuff in there. It wasn't completely done so i ended up trying to get it fixed in in vegas and that was a disaster the surgeon didn't know what i was doing it was a big mess so i went to look to research it on my own and i found that there's something called the poem procedure what, what they do is they just go in with an endoscopy and they go in they, they basically just cut the muscles of your esophagus and 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 it just is open it's just constantly open so ucla is one of the leading places in the world that that, that does that so i went and got a doctor there who actually his favorite band is tool which is really cool so he's actually a, a heavy music guy 
Uh, went in there and they fixed it. This is almost two years ago and I've had zero problems. I just went back and had a an, an end follow-up endoscopy, which I had to do every every few months afterwards just to make sure everything's all good in there. And uh, I looked at it and said, everything's good. You don't have to go back for a year and I can eat uh, and do well, that's pretty much everything now. So, but now I have to be, I have to be careful though, because I, I, I'll end up being 500 pounds again. If, well, that's a long way around for me to really ask the question I really was trying to ask, which is what is your favorite thing to put my hot sauce on? This is my new favorite thing. I like to put it on a lot of different stuff, by the way, because it's really good. But I, I'm I'm not vegan necessarily, but I, I, I lean vegan and vegetarian. Uh, you know, I'll eat fish and every I only will eat meat at one of Santos's restaurants because it's so freaking good. Uh, but I, I love this uh, Morningstar Farms chorizo, uh, vegan chorizo they have, which is really good. So the other day I made a bunch and I just put some cheese in there and I was like, oh, let me, let me try that verde sauce on this. Oh my gosh, that was, that was good. That was really good. You know, by the way, I want to just stand up by saying that um, you're so metal that even what you have sounds metal. You had Acolasia. Like that's, right. that's a great right. metal band's name. <laughs> that's how heavy you are. <laughs> that if something happens to your body, it's got to be made sound metal. All right, Brian, we're done. Thank you for, for spending all this time with us, coming back on. I'm super excited for this book and super excited for all these uh, surprise announcements you have uh, coming up regarding the 40th anniversary. As always, people can find you at Brian Slagle on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and, and Snapchat and Facebook. Uh, I have a I have a private page which has like 5,000 people on it, so it's not really private. And then the, the fan page, which you can go to, and all the information's on all of there. And then, of course, all the Metal Blade socials and MetalBlade.com and all that good stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I will see you hopefully soon in Vegas. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure to do this anytime. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.